Good morning. My name is Dustin, and I'm on staff here at South Point. I work with our students and our worship team. Each week, what we do here at South Point is we open up the Bible, and we dig into God's Word, and we dig into God's Word with one goal in mind, and that goal is for everyone to better understand who Jesus is and what he desires for our lives, because we believe that through Jesus that everyone can experience God's unconditional love. So everything we do as a church, that's our goal, to understand Jesus better. And we are currently in the final week of a series that we're calling I Choose. And throughout this series, we've been examining the ways in which Jesus calls us to put him at the center of our lives. And so this morning, we're just going to stay the course, and we're going to keep talking about that. And the passage we're going to be reading comes in the book of John, chapter 10, starting in verse 22. But before we get into that, will you pray with me? God, thankful for your goodness and your grace. Thankful for this time that we have together. God, I pray that you speak directly through your word this morning, that you speak through me. I know apart from you that I can do nothing, but I know that you have the words of life. And so, God, I pray that these words and this message point everyone in this place to you and give us a better understanding of who you are and what you want for us. We love you so much. We pray in your name and your name alone. Amen. So John chapter 10, starting at verse 22, let's read this together. It says, at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. So if you were curious about whether these Jewish people were satisfied with Jesus' answer, them picking up stones to stone him should tell you that they are not satisfied with his answer. But Jesus goes on in verse 37, and he says these words, and hear this. He says, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. So this is how this plays out. Jesus is walking through the temple and the Jewish people see him and they bring him this demand. They say, listen, if you're the Messiah, if you're the Christ, if you are God, tell us. To which Jesus answers them, I've already told you that I am. Not only have I already told you, but I've shown you miracles and signs. You literally have all the proof that you need. And these Jewish people are like, nope, that's not enough. And they pick up these stones to stone him. And so I think the first thing we have to look at in this passage is what these people are actually demanding of Jesus because they're saying that all they want is verbal confirmation, right? Tell us, Jesus. But Jesus has already claimed to be God, and so verbal confirmation has already happened, and so that must not be it. That's not what they actually want. You see, I think the problem, I think the tension for these Jewish people with Jesus is I think they already have this picture in their heads of what the Messiah is going to look like. They, they already think they know what he will look like and how he'll work, and the problem is Jesus doesn't look like that. He looks different. And so really, I think the core message of what these Jewish people are saying is give us proof 
in the way that we want. Give us proof by giving us what we want and what we want to see, and then we'll follow you. Don't keep us in suspense, Jesus. Show us that you are God, and show us on our terms, and then we'll follow you. Which kind of sounds like a foolish mindset to go into, a foolish demand to make of God, right? But I think it's actually a mindset that, that represents a lot of the American church, and I think it's a mindset that's very much alive and well with Christians today, and that mindset is, is this. It's we want God to work the way we want God to work. We want God to work the way we want God to work. Does that make sense? We, we want God to work, but we want him to do things the way we think he should do things. We have this picture in our heads of, of what God should be like and how he should move. And so this picture that we create in our minds, that then becomes what we expect of him. I saw this video online. It was an excerpt from a sermon. And I'm not going to say the name of the pastor, but I'll just say he has a very large platform. It's not an exaggeration to say that his words influence how millions of people understand and relate to God. Now, in this message, this pastor was talking about comparing, comparing what we have to what other people have. And, and he, was, he was talking about how upsetting it is for us as committed believers to have to watch sinful people getting all the things they want out of life, while at the same time, we as committed believers may not be getting those things. For instance, he says things like, God, I just want to have a house of my own. And I'm doing all the things that you ask me to do, and yet I'm no closer to getting that house. God, what's going on? Or, or God, my spouse and I, we just, we just want to start a family, but we're not able to get pregnant. And I've been doing everything that you've asked me to do, and we just can't get pregnant. And yet I see our, our atheist neighbors have like 17 kids, God. <laughs> How is that right? Or God, I'm, I'm sick, or my mother is sick, or my, my child is sick, and... I just can't make sense of it, God, and I pray for healing every day, and I'm obedient, and I just saw the story about someone else being miraculously healed, and God, I just want that too. And after going through all these examples, this was his big closing statement. He said this, he said, he said, when you start focusing on what you don't have now, you will lose sight of what God has promised over you for later. He said, when you start focusing on what you don't have now, you will lose sight of what God has promised over you for later. Now, before we get all excited and inspired by this quote, I want to make sure that you understand that this is what we call a false teaching. This is garbage. You want to know why this is garbage? Because what's the focus? What is the thing that we shouldn't lose sight of? What's at the forefront of this? In this quote, he says, you should be focused on what God has promised over you for later. He's not talking about Jesus not talking about the gospel, don't lose sight of what God has promised over you for later. And listen, this is just a, a pro tip. If you're listening to a sermon and the pastor starts talking primarily about physical blessings that God is preparing for you, or if they're talking primarily about God's plan for your life as it pertains to like a career or a human relationship or your health or blessings, that's probably a good time to turn it off. As you see, this type of approach... This mindset, it takes the focus off of Jesus and it places the focus on us. And like Randy Jackson said, that's, uh, that's going to be a no for me, dog. Because <laughs> nothing good ever came 
in my life from my life being all about me. And so this pastor goes on and he talks about how we need to walk in obedience so we don't miss out on the blessings that God wants to give us. We need to walk in obedience so we don't miss out on these blessings that God wants to give us. Do you hear the underlying message in that? The underlying message is that if you do what God wants you to do, God will give you what you want. You know what this is called? This is called a prosperity gospel. It's a false gospel. And it makes our relationship with God transactional. It says, I'll do this for you, and then you do this for me. And man, it is extremely dangerous. And really, it's, it's garbage, and it's infecting a portion of the American church. And do you know where this idea comes from? That if you do what God wants you to do, that God will give you what you want? It really comes from this massive misinterpretation of a passage in Psalms that says this. It says this in Psalms. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Alluring. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. People read that, and they read, if you do what God wants you to do, God will give you what you want. But that's not what this says. And what this prosperity gospel produces in us, it's a, it's a sense of self-dependence, of self-reliance, like our blessings depend on us. And then that produces in us either pride or shame because when we get what we want, we get all prideful, like we deserve it, like we've earned it. Man, I must be doing something right. But then on the flip side, if we aren't getting the things that we want, it must mean what? means we must not be doing what God wants us to do. Prosperity gospel will produce in us a mindset that says, if you're poor, well, you're poor because you're just probably not committed enough. Or if you are trying to start a family and it just isn't happening, well, maybe you're just not giving enough money to the church. Or, or if you have cancer and you're not seeing healing, then you probably just don't have enough faith. Or if you're waiting for that perfect job or that perfect person and they just don't seem to be coming well that's probably just because you're not a very good Christian try harder because if you believe that if you do what God wants you to do that God will give you what you want then you also have to believe that if you aren't getting what you want then you must not be doing what God wants you to do delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart it doesn't mean if you do what God wants you to do God will give you what you want and so what does it actually mean well, what does it mean to delight yourself in the Lord? Well, it doesn't point to obedience. It doesn't point to discipline. To delight yourself in the Lord, it points at your heart. It points at where you find your joy, where you find your strength. To delight yourself in the Lord is to make Jesus the foundation of your life from a place of awe and wonder and fascination that just says, God, I can't believe that you even want a relationship with me, let alone love me, let alone would die for me. And the truth of that is so overwhelming and amazing that I just have to worship you. To be loved by you, Jesus, plants inside of me this remarkable and unshakable joy because, God, you are so good. That's delighting yourself in the Lord. It's so much less about obedience and so much more about your heart. And so when you delight, in your, delight yourself in the Lord, when he is the desire of your heart, he will give you the desires of your heart by giving himself freely to you. 
says he'll make you a spring of living water. He says he will produce fruit in your life. He says he'll hold you up with his mighty right hand. Delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Is God saying, make me the desire of your heart. Make me the source of your strength, joy, and peace. And I will give you more strength, joy, and peace than you know what to do with. And so the desires of your heart are extremely important. But what if Jesus isn't the desire of your heart? What happens then? This is an important question because the truth is that God will not force himself into your life. And so if you've decided that you are going to delight yourself in other things, if you've decided that you're going to make other things the desires of your heart, if you've decided you're going to go another direction, God will let you do that. God will let you go. If you look elsewhere in the Bible for this idea of the desire of someone's heart, the Bible makes this clear elsewhere in the Psalms. It says this, God says, So I gave them over to their stubborn heart to follow their own counsels. Essentially, they walked away, so I, I let them walk. They thought they knew better, and so I, I let them choose to live the wrong way. I let them go. In Romans, Paul says, he says this. He says, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity and the, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Basically, if you want to choose sin, if you want to choose something else, if you want to find your identity in the things of the world, if you want to chase after the things that this world says are good, they'll never fulfill you, but God will let you learn that lesson the hard way. If Jesus is not the desire of your heart, not only will he not force you, he will let you go. This is what it means that God will give you the desires of your heart. It doesn't mean that God is a vending machine for the obedient. It doesn't mean if you do what God wants you to do, God will give you what you want. That's transactional. That's making God in our image. That's a false gospel. And to a degree, that's the perspective and posture that these Jewish people are coming at Jesus with. They're like, listen, we know what the Messiah is supposed to look like. We know how God is supposed to work, what he's supposed to do. And so just look like that, and we'll believe you are who you say you are. But here's the thing. We don't get to make God in our image as much as we'd like to. And we don't get to determine the way God moves, and we don't have the power to force God's hand with our obedience or with our desires. And I think here, here's the truth that the prosperity gospels and other false gospels, I, I, they don't talk about this, and, and if you, know, you, you want my opinion, I think they don't talk about this because they're afraid that it might scare people away. I think they're afraid if they talk about these things that you may not want to be a part of their church. Because here's the truth. Not every believer is going to have money. And not every believer is going to find that perfect person. And not every believer is going to land their dream job. And not every sick believer is going to be miraculously healed in this life. Even if these things are the desires of that person's heart. Even if that person is obedient. Some people receive these things. God absolutely has done, can do, and will do these things, but not every believer has promised these things in Scripture. That's the truth. These things aren't promised. And here's why I think this is so important to talk about this and keep it in front of us and hang with me, because I know this sounds like bad news. <laughs> sounds like a bummer, doesn't it? It's like, what? 
talking about? Well, we're going to get to the good news here real soon, so just don't tune out. Hang with me. This is why we need to talk about this, because this pastor, he started strong, but he finished off the rails, because you see, he said, he said, when you start focusing on what you don't have now, you will lose sight of what God has promised over you for later. But here's the reality. The reality is, when you start focusing on what you don't have now, you will lose sight of what God has already done for you. When you start focusing on what you don't have now, you will start losing sight of what God has already done for you. As you can look, you can see this. Look at how Jesus responds to the demands of these Jews. They demand that he prove who he is to them on their terms. And this is Jesus' response. He says, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you don't believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is like, I've already shown you and told you, but I did it on my terms and not your terms, and so you won't accept it because you're not my sheep. You're not my followers. You don't know me because if you did know me, you'd know that the way that I do things is actually so much better than whatever picture you've created in your mind. You see, we want God to work the way we want God to work, but the truth is that the way God works is always better than our way. The way God works is always better than our way. Always, always, somebody say always. Always better than our way. Because our way produces temporary satisfaction and comfort but God's way produces eternal life and our way produces things that can be taken away but God's way produces things that cannot be shaken you see when you start focusing on what you don't have now you will lose sight of what God has already done for you what has he already done Will he step down from the glory and perfection of heaven to experience life the way you experience? And so God is not some passive observer. He's been in it. And he knows your pain and he knows your struggles and he knows your heartbreak and he knows you. And he lived a sinless life, a life that we could never live. And then he allowed himself to be mocked and brutalized and crucified on the cross. He took the literal wrath of God and he endured it for you, so that we could have an opportunity at grace, so that we could be saved, so that we could be a part of his family, so we didn't have to identify ourselves with all the messed up things that we've done and still do, but instead we can define ourselves by what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. We've been brought to life, and we've been set free, and nothing or no one can ever take that away from you when you abide in Christ. He says, it is finished. That is the single most important thing that has ever happened, literally ever. And so don't ever forget what God was willing to endure to create a bridge big enough for you to be able to rest in his arms. That is the foundation of our life if you're a follower of Christ. And when you really begin to lean into that and accept that, and I promise anything that could happen in this life, any circumstance, good or bad, just kind of pales in comparison. That's the good news. 
That's what Jesus has already done, and we've said it before. If that's the only thing that Jesus ever did for us, that would be enough. That would be more than enough. But he doesn't stop there. There's more good news. There are literal promises of God. And so, you know, we don't have to make up the things that we think God will do because God has already told us what he'll do. And can we read a few of these? Because, man, we, we can't control what happens in this life with our obedience, with our desires. We have no control over that. And we can't control how God chooses to work. But these promises, they're consistent and they're true. And, and before we read some of these promises, check this out. This is what Jesus says about how he works. If you're interested in how confident Jesus is that he is enough, this is what Jesus says. He says, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. Jesus is literally saying, if I'm not doing the things I've promised you I will do, don't believe me. If I don't go to a cross and die the way I say I'm going to and raise back to life after three days, don't believe me. If I don't show up in your life the way that I say I will, then you don't have to believe me. That's how confident Jesus is. But can I tell you something? I've been following Jesus for a pretty long time, and very rarely, if ever, probably never, have I gotten it right. And yet, these promises that God makes, he's not broken a single one for me. And so in addition to what Jesus has already done for you on the cross, here are some promises that we can take to the bank, and we're just going to start jumping into them. It says this in Romans. It says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The first promise is that God knows me and he loves me. He knows me, and he loves me. Not only does God know you fully, completely, entirely, but he loves you fully, completely, and entirely. And he loves you in such a way that his love cannot be affected by anything that you do or don't do. He is steadfast. He is unwavering. And nothing that could ever happen in this universe could ever change this amazing and unconditional love that your creator has for you. This is a huge promise. I read this passage every single day I hang on it the next promise comes from the book of Exodus it says this it says the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent the second promise is God fights for me now this passage God is saying this to Moses with the promises for all God's people God literally fights for you he doesn't stand back passively while the world just beats the life out of you. He is actively fighting for you and within you. When you don't have the strength and when you can't carry on and when you're not enough, God is at his best. In the book of Corinthians, it actually says that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness, which means it's better when you're too weak to fight, when you can't fight your own battles because you have a Savior that shows up and fights for you consistently. And he will fight the battles for you that you just face it. You have, you have no chance on your own. The next promise is connected to this as it says in Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help 
in trouble. God is my strength. God knows and loves me. God fights for me. God is my strength. You want to know one of the most impactful things I've learned in my life? I don't need to be strong all the time. I don't need to try to be a hero all the time. I don't need to try to be somebody. And we do that. We put all this pressure on ourselves to perform as parents, as friends, as spouses, as employees, as believers. I mean, the list goes on. There's this ideology we've created as a society that says life is tough. You just have to be tougher. And guess what? That's trash because you can't. There are going to be things that you encounter in this life that you're just not equipped to handle on your own. And the good news is we don't have to. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to carry that weight anymore. You can take a breath and just rest for a second because God is my strength. I have to tell you, of all the things that I've preached This is fun, man. This is exciting to be able to share these promises with you. Let's keep going. It says in John chapter 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Jesus is saying, the world gives you things that can be taken away. What I give you can never be taken away. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The next promise is that God gives me peace. You ever look around at the world and it feels so overwhelming and broken and polarized and you just want peace even for a moment you just want to not have to participate and get caught up in the whirlwind of all of it but Jesus says when you feel like that and when the anxiety and the worry and the fear is gripping you Jesus says look at me and I'll give you peace in Philippians it's referred to as a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that literally does not make sense. A peace that when the world says, don't you remember that you just lost your job? Don't you remember that your dad left you when you were a kid? Don't you remember that the person that you want to be with so badly doesn't want anything to do with you? Don't you remember that you mess up all the time? Don't you remember that you're a failure? Don't you remember that you have cancer and this peace that God gives us that says, yeah, I I remember, but my heart is still full and these things don't define me. A peace that passes all understanding, a peace that doesn't make sense. What a promise. When we go on in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31, it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Next promise is God will never leave you. God never leaves me. God never leaves me. You know, the Father only ever abandoned one person, and it was Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. Because the great weight of our sin and shame drove a wedge so big between the Father and the Son that the Father had to abandon Jesus on the cross to die alone. That's why Jesus says, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the Father had to walk away from him. Jesus had to die alone. And because Jesus 
died alone. We have this great promise that we are never alone. Your Savior walks with you in your highest highs, in your lowest lows, even when you don't feel him, even when you don't see him. God is never far from you, and he's not going anywhere. And then in Romans, we come to the last promise we're going to look at today, and this is a big one. It says, Romans 8, 28, it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So the last promise is God uses everything for good. Everything. And what's at the, really at the core of this promise is that it means nothing in your life is ever wasted. No tragedy is for nothing. No pain, no suffering, no tears. They're never for nothing. God will take them and he will use them intentionally for good. He will use them to strengthen you. He will use them to grow your dependence on him. He'll use them to increase your trust in him, to set you on a better path than the one you're currently on, maybe to reach someone with your story, maybe to connect with someone who desperately needs to hear who Jesus is, maybe just to clarify for you better about who Jesus is and how much he loves you. I mean, I could go on, but if you stick around Jesus for any extended period of time, you will begin to see God orchestrate miracles in such unexpected ways and places. I have seen some amazing stories come out of tragedy. So you have these six promises on top of the free gift of Jesus dying for you on the cross. God knows and loves me. God fights for me. God gives me strength. God gives me peace. God never leaves me. God uses everything for good. And listen, these promises, these aren't blessings. Like, these aren't blessings in a sense that there's something that you may experience and you may not. These are promises, and they're promises for everyone who's put their faith in Jesus, and they're unconditional. Actually, that's not true. There is one condition, but the condition is not that you have to live your life in a way that makes you deserving of this, because you, you can't. And the condition is not that you earn this, because you can't. The condition is that you have to come to the one place where they're actually available to you. The condition is that you have to come to Jesus in order to experience these things. Because you see, they're not, they're not blessings. And honestly, they're not even really promises. They're, it's more like consequences. Because Jesus isn't saying, I'm going to give you these things as a gift because you've chosen to follow me. You see, that's still transactional. So it's not like Jesus is just like holding on to these and he's like, just waiting on you. All right, you've, all right, here they are. That's transactional. So this isn't Jesus saying, I'm going to give you these things as a gift because you've chosen to follow me. I think it's more Jesus saying, matter-of-factly, that I'm going to give you these things. It's actually him saying, really, he's saying, I'm so good. I am so good that the consequence of leaning into me the consequence of just getting a little glimpse into who Jesus is, the consequence of starting to just understand even a little bit about what he's done for you, the consequence of knowing Jesus is that you will begin to understand that you're saved and that you're loved and that God fights for you and he never leaves you and he will use everything in your life for good and this will give you a peace and a strength that you cannot find anywhere else in the world. That's how good Jesus is. 
This is matter of fact. He's not going to give you these things because you've chosen to follow him, but he says, if you look at me long enough, this is what happens. And so don't be sucked in by the desires of your own heart. And don't be sucked in by the message of the prosperity gospel because Jesus never said, if you follow me, I'll make all your problems go away. No matter how obedient you are. That's just, it's just a lie. Any believer in this place can confirm that for you. That's not the truth of the gospel. The beautiful and powerful truth of the real gospel is not that your problems are going to go away and that you're going to get your hands on some money and you're going to get that perfect job and you're going to find that special person and you're going to be miraculously healed. The beautiful and powerful truth of the real gospel is that even if your problems don't go away and even if you never get your hands on money and even if you never meet that perfect person, that special someone, even if you never land that dream job, even if miraculous healing doesn't come, that because you have Jesus, you have something so much more valuable than any of those things, and he is going to carry you through it. Because you have Jesus, you are going to be all right. You see, the circumstances of your life may not change, but you will be changed. And so I'm going to challenge you this morning to do something that Jesus calls all of his followers to do daily. I'm going to ask you to lay down the desires of your own heart in exchange for what Jesus is actually offering you. Because remember, can we pull up that quote, when you start focusing on what you don't have now, you will lose sight of what God has already done for you. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up here. You see, the biggest challenge of our walk with God is not our obedience. The biggest challenge of our walk with God is to not lose our focus on what Jesus has done in light of anything else going on in our lives. The biggest challenge of our lives is keeping the gospel the most important thing. It's keeping our eyes focused on Jesus, making Jesus the desire of your heart. And so I'm going to challenge you to focus yourself. I'm going to challenge you to make Jesus the desire of your heart either again or maybe for the first time. And so there should be a blank index card under your seat or in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't have one or if your kid grabbed it and drew a picture on it, then you can uh, grab one off one of the offering tables. But on that blank index card, this is what I'm going to challenge you to do. I'm going to challenge you to write down the desire of your heart right now. I'm going to ask you to write down what it is that you've been hoping for, what it is you've been praying for. I don't know if it's a job. I don't know if it's to be pulled out of a financial struggle. I don't know if it's trying to start a family. I don't know if it's trying to break an addiction. I don't know if it's just to see healing in our nation. I, I, I can't name the desire of your heart for you. But you know what it is. And so I'm going to ask you to write down the biggest desire of your heart right now, the thing that you think about more than anything, the thing that maybe keeps you up at night. I'm going to ask you to write that down on that index card. And then I'm going to ask you to pray. The band's going to play through a song. And I'm going to ask you to pray over that desire. And I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer of release. 
a prayer that just says, God, I, I acknowledge that this is the big thing in my life right now. I understand this is my goal, but God, I just, I want what you have to offer because I understand that it's so much better. And, and when, the, when you finish praying, by the time you finish praying, if you're ready to do this, and if you're not ready, hang on to, hang on to this card. But if by the time you finish praying, if you're ready to lay down that desire, I'm going to invite you to come up and you can drop it in this basket at the foot of the cross. You can literally lay down the desire of your heart. And then in the other basket, there are these cards. And they just say Jesus on the front of them. And this is just literally physically signifying that you're laying down your own desires and you're picking up what Jesus wants for you. And then on the back of these, you have seven promises. The first, that I'm saved. And the other six are the ones that we talked about this morning. And, and I just challenge you to take this and stick it somewhere where you're going to see it. Stick it somewhere where you have to walk by it. Because the truth is, even if you lay down the desires of your heart this morning, there's a good chance that you could walk out of this place and they can start to creep back in. Because this is a daily thing that Jesus calls us to do. Lay down the desire of our heart. And so, a challenge, if we really want to keep our eyes on Jesus is to chase after him constantly throughout the day. And you can hang your hat on these promises that he's died for you and he offers all these other things. And so I'm going to pray for us and then the band's going to play and I'm going to invite you to start that process. Well, let's pray together. Jesus, we just acknowledge that as much as we may want to that it is so easy for life and the just the circumstances of our life to cloud our perspective and things sometimes get bigger than they actually are and sometimes they're just really big situations in our life and Jesus we trust and we know that you can work in these situations we know that you can heal we know that you provide we know that you can do those things. But Jesus, even if you don't, we want to be a community of people that understand that what you've done for us already is already so much more than what we deserve and provides so much more for us than any temporary comfort or satisfaction in this life. Jesus, you're just better. And so God, I pray for the desires that each person's writing down on this car, God, and if people are struggling I just pray that you're bringing things to mind the most important thing we could ever do with our lives is give them to you the most important thing we could ever do is make you the desire of our heart because you never fail you were there time and time again you give us peace and strength that doesn't make sense and you walk with us you never leave us you fight our battles for us to be known and loved by you is the greatest thing in the universe and God so I pray that you clarify that for us that you give us wisdom you give us discernment and you challenge us to lay down our own desires in exchange for what you offer which is just so much better Jesus we love you and we praise you you are good Amen <laughs>